The scripture reading this morning comes from Hebrews 12, verses 22 through 24 and 28 through 29. But you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful, and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. This is the word of the Lord for us. Anyone else happen to participate in a white elephant gift exchange over the holidays? Anybody? I, I typically have several of those that I'm part of as different Christmas festivities. And I actually started thinking this year, I didn't know, why is a white elephant called a white elephant? And so I looked it up. Maybe some of you don't know as well. It's a tradition and a phrase that we get from Asia where white elephants, especially in ancient times, the the white elephant was the ultimate pampered pet. And so the wealthiest would sometimes have this, I suppose it was an albino, but they they would have this to sort of show off and display. It was like, oh, anyone want to go out and see the the white elephant, right? And so they... uh, they were also seen in that culture as sort of sacred or holy, you know, something very different and unique. Um, and so no expense was spared in caring for the white elephant. So if you were to receive one of these as a gift, like if someone were to say, I'm gifting this to you, you are now in ownership of this white elephant, basically um, the cost to maintain it and care for it would have completely wiped you out. Again, unless you were in this upper echelon of like untold riches, to get a white elephant was basically to be encumbered with something that is really not useful, really not helpful, and the care and maintenance of it is going to far outweigh the actual cost of it, right? You, you can't afford to keep it alive, basically. Um, and so uh, they, they were sort of a prized possession that would also have been uh, not a wanted, <laughs> not a wanted uh, commodity, and so that's where we get when we do a white elephant. Like, hey, I got a gift for you. <laughs> it's a white elephant. Uh, you never know what you're going to unwrap. So, but I tend to love words and phrases, and th- those are the kinds of things that to me sometimes just get get uh, ingrained in my mind. Where I'm like, why do we say what we say? Like, why do we use that? What does it actually mean? I also uh, recognize, like in today's world, we use shorthand for so many different things. We're always LOLing and BRBing and SMHing. <laughs> um, they've just kind of become part of everyday conversation. I also looked up for 2022, according to Merriam-Webster, what was the word of the year? Did anybody else look this up? Does anybody else have any, any guesses? What was the word of the year for 2022? I'm the only one who cares about words, apparently, but I'll share with you, uh, so just, just bear with me. Gaslighting was the word of the year, according to Merriam-Webster, for 2022. Yeah. Uh, there were a few other contenders, which included permacrisis. <laughs> that one was new on me, uh, permacrisis and goblin mode. So I'll leave it to you if you want to look those up. You're welcome to check that out. Um, now, back in my day, awesome was a word that got a lot of airtime. Like, uh, everything was awesome. Um, it, I, I still hear it today, though, right? I mean, and if you know me, you probably hear me use the word awesome as well. Uh, and it can, it, the great thing is it's versatility, right? It can refer to everything from the weather to food to a person, a song, a sports team. 
But when you really get down to the root of it, when you're calling something awesome, you're saying it's something that inspires awe. It is something filled with or puts you in a state of awe, which is sort of this like jaw-dropping, sort of shocked, surprised, overwhelmed, like sense of, wow, awe. And so in that regard, when you think about the word awesome or being in a state of awe, you realize it really should be reserved for one use and one use only, and that is to refer to God. <laughs> that, that God is truly awesome and is really the only thing worthy of that. As much as we use it in uh, you know, common usage to say tacos are awesome, really God is the ultimate in terms of uh, who should we stand in awe of? Who, who or what is the thing that, that as mere humans and mortals, we should respond to with this sense of something way bigger, way cooler, way beyond me? The reason I say that is because he is beyond us. He is more than we can comprehend. He's more than we can understand. We can't know everything about God. And so he is the one and the only one that we should worship. That's what we're going to talk about today. The title of this sermon is Worship Our Savior. So let me introduce myself. I'm John. I serve as lead pastor. Again, just thrilled that you're with us today. What a joy it is to gather in celebration, to study God's word, to fellowship with other believers in Christ. I am thrilled that you're with us today, here in person and those that are tuning in online. I'm praying that through our time together, your heart and home grow stronger in the Lord. So we're doing a sermon series called Maybe This Year. And the goal of this series is to learn some habits aimed at growing spiritually. And so there are lots of spiritual disciplines. This sermon series is not an exhaustive study of spiritual disciplines. I had a, a twinge of regret this week where I was like, maybe I should have done a 22-part uh, spiritual disciplines. And then I was like, nah, maybe not. <laughs> uh, but there are lots more spiritual disciplines that we're not talking about. We're just talking about a few. In fact, um, I can tell you the ones that we're going to cover uh, over the next, really, it's just three remaining weeks. And that is worship, which we're doing today, studying God's word next week, and then finally, prayer. Worship, studying God's word, and prayer. Those are three of the spiritual disciplines. There are lots and lots and lots more, but those are three important ones that I think we will serve us well here at MCA if we grow in our understanding and practice of these. And again, our goal is not so much that we want to become a spiritual giant before the clock strikes midnight on December 31st, 2023. Like before January 1st of 24 gets here, I need to reach this amazing spiritual giant status. The goal really is more about asking the Lord how he wants us to grow, who he wants us to be, and then faithfully and diligently and yes, even imperfectly pursuing that with everything in us. So God, what do you want for me and, and I'm going to go after it with everything in me. So we're prayerfully considering, is this the year? Or, or maybe this year, God wants to grow me in my prayer life. You know, maybe I've kind of stalled out and, and I've not been the prayer warrior that I want to be. I've not been effective in prayer. I know I still have a lot to learn and, and a lot of uh, discipline that, I, that needs to go into my prayer life. And so to say, maybe this year is the year that I take steps toward growing as a person of prayer. Or maybe this year I take steps in knowing the Bible more and, and growing in my love of God's word and my practice of studying it. Or, or maybe this year God wants to use me to share the life-giving power of Jesus 
with a friend or a loved one. And of course, my encouragement is that you would pursue Jesus today. You know, sometimes we, we get, especially this time of year, we get a little too wrapped up in all of the big picture, year-end goals, what am I going to achieve by the end of this year, and we lose sight of what does the Lord want us to do today. And so I said it before, but I'll say it again. You know, maybe you've set a goal for a, a Bible reading plan for this year. That's good. I'm for that. I, I'll, I'll encourage you in that. I, 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 I encourage you, ask a few people to hold you accountable in that. But here's my advice. Get into the scripture today. Take a few minutes today to spend with the Lord and to read his word and, and to just sort of soak in his presence and, and enjoy and delight in the presence of God today. Because God has given you today. And if God gifts you tomorrow, then do it again tomorrow. That's my encouragement. And so uh, we know that the Lord is going to meet us right where we are. Uh, but what we're doing this morning and over the next few weeks is we're being intentional about what are the tried and true practices or habits that help us to grow spiritually, right? So tried and true habits. These, these are things that will help you to grow even closer to the Lord, become even more the man or woman that God wants you to be. And so I want to talk this morning about worship, but maybe in a way that you've not discussed it before, worship as a spiritual discipline, the discipline of worship. Are you living life, let me, let me begin with this question, are you living life in awe of our holy God? Astounded, astonished, jaw-dropping at what God has done, who God is, what God is doing him. You know, our worship is directly related to our view of God. The way I worship God, it's directly related to what I think of God, who I believe God to be. Small God, small amount of praise. I'll sing you a song or two. Big God, <laughs> well, you can, you can figure that out, right? <laughs> we pour out our hearts and our lives with shouts, with joy, with praise and adoration and surrender. We, we tremble at times in the presence of a holy God. Big God, big worship. I realize that's really simple. But I think when you start studying spiritual disciplines, it's actually not this really highly theological, you know, takes a doctoral degree to understand. In a way, a lot of times when you get to the spiritual disciplines, what you're doing is you're kind of peeling back the layers and getting down to the basics. Small God, small worship. I think a lot of us are probably stuck in that place, honestly. We give God what we think God is due because our view of God is inaccurate. It was A.W. Tozer who said that what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. If we view God for who he is, we are going to respond. I mean, I want this to be clear. We're going to respond just like the Apostle John did in Revelation chapter 1 when he fell on his face before the Almighty God. Revelation 1, verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And some of you are like, I've heard of groups that do the slain in the spirit thing, but we don't necessarily do that. I'm not saying we fabricate anything. <laughs> I'm saying that if we truly have an understanding of who God is, and we come face to face with him, in the presence of the Almighty God, 
This is the way we respond. We fall before him, helpless. But maybe you're here today. You've been tracking with me for these first five minutes. And so far, your response is, okay, I hear what John's saying. I get it. But worship's just really not my thing. You know, I'll tune in next week. (laughs) I'm more into the Bible. Worship is really just not my thing. I don't really think I grow a whole lot spiritually through worship. I don't think I really enjoy worship. Um, And so even in corporate worship, and worship, by the way, is far more than 20 minutes on a Sunday morning. Uh, we'll learn about that today. That's, that's not what we're, we're not talking about 20 minutes with our church family on Sunday mornings. But that is corporate worship, and it is important. And maybe you're here today, and you're saying, that's just not my thing. And so I don't really engage a whole lot. I don't really like to sing a lot. Um, I, so I'm not very expressive when it comes to worship time in church. Big deal. What's the, what's the issue? Well, it is a big deal if you don't revere God. And I want you to know that. It's a big deal if you don't revere God. When, when you stop honoring God with your life, well, you, you, first of all, you'll be miserable. You won't have any joy. Your soul will grow bitter. In fact, let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 2. We'll look at verse 19. We are going to be in Hebrews chapter 12, by the way. That's where our main study is going to come from this morning once we get into it. But uh, I want us to look at this verse in Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 19. We will have it on the screen as well. It's the word of the Lord. He says, your wickedness will punish you. Your backsliding will rebuke you. Consider then and realize how evil and bitter it is for you when you forsake the Lord your God and have no what? Have no what? Have no awe of me, declares the Lord, the Lord Almighty. When we've lost that sense of awe, because we don't rightly understand who God is, and we don't revere him the way he deserves, and we're flippant about the idea of worship, or we would even dare to say, worship's really not my thing. The Lord has a sharp warning for us there. That certainly includes the idea of life is going to be bitter. Now, I'll say that a hallmark of the early church was their awe and fear of the Lord. And really, Hebrews chapter 12 helps us to navigate and understand something of that. That this is, you know, one of those hinge points in time where we're entering the church age and for their Jewish Uh, counterparts and audience, and that's who Hebrews is written to, they're sort of still basing life and worship and practice on a lot of the Old Testament ideas. And so Hebrews chapter 12 is very helpful in our understanding of worship today. So I want us to turn there. Hebrews chapter 12, this is really where we'll camp out and spend the, the rest of our time this morning as we walk through this passage, starting in verse 18, and we'll go through the end of the chapter. Um, and, and what the author does here in Hebrews chapter 12 is t- he takes us back to Mount Sinai. Now, we don't have time to, to go back and read that all ourselves, but I'll, I'll just simply remind you that uh, in the book of Exodus, the Lord met with Moses on Mount Sinai and gave him the Ten Commandments. 
and the people of God were there, but they weren't permitted to go onto the mountain. Only Moses was sort of uh, beckoned to come up and meet with God in that place. And it was a holy place, and it was really kind of a scary place for the people of God as they received the Old Covenant. So with that, let's, let's start reading in verse 18. We're in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, you've not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire. To darkness, gloom, and storm. To a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. And here's a direct quote from, from that passage in Exodus. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. Now, the people of God in the Old Testament at Mount Sinai, that group of of Israelites, they had reason to fear God. They had seen firsthand, like with their own eyes, they had seen his might and his power, like what God was able to do and what God was all about. They had firsthand experience to say, he delivered us from the hand of slavery in Egypt. Like God was able to do that. He freed us from our oppressors. He called forth the 10 plagues. He parted the Red Sea. He accompanied us in a pillar of fire. Like, so they had seen these things with their own eyes. Like, this God is powerful. He is big, and he can do whatever he wants. He was able to deliver us from our enemies. And so then, this same God meets with Moses on Mount Sinai, which is so holy that if anyone touches it, even an animal touches it, they'll die. And I think maybe for some of us growing up, That's the version of God. That's the story that we heard, and that was the end. That God is scary, which, to to be frank, he is scary. (laughs) Whenever you come face-to-face with something that you don't fully understand and that's way bigger and more powerful than you, it it is frightening. But maybe that's the version that some of us grew up with is that God is big and God is scary and God is powerful. And so you better not get too close. You better just keep, keep your distance. And maybe your, your view of God then was God is always just watching over you, ready to get mad at you, ready to see if you're going to make a mistake. And so you sort of cower in fear. Like these mysterious wildlife deaths in Arkansas. Did any of you guys hear about this? Uh, thousands of birds that were found dead with no explanation. Uh, this is a true story from the headlines. Um, experts were initially dumbfounded by the mass extermination until they did some, some sleuthing. Uh, so this is what the news report said. Uh, the article was entitled, <laughs> Loud Noises May Have Caused Arkansas Bird Deaths. <laughs> uh, the article says, Fright likely killed thousands of birds, which dropped into a small town in Arkansas, officials said on Monday. As many as 5,000 birds began falling all over the small town of Beeb shortly before midnight on New Year's Eve. (laughs) Uh, Right now, we're pretty confident that trauma is what caused the die-off, said state veterinarian George Badley. A local resident reported hearing about 20 loud booms on Saturday night. Okay, so it was fireworks. Um... 
and saw a huge flock of frantic birds when he went outside. I could hear the blackbirds fluttering around. Uh, I could hear their wings, and I could hear them hitting into things. <laughs> uh, whatever it was, it caused fear and trauma and panic and ended up with thousands upon thousands of dead birds in this small southern town. Um, it caused panic. It caused fear. And, and I think that's what it was like at Sinai. It was the people trembling and quaking and cowering in fear. But in Hebrews chapter 12, where the author is helping us see worship rightly, not excluding or forsaking or unhitching ourselves from the Old Testament, but rightly embracing and understanding, yes, God is holy. We see, so let's go to, we're in Hebrews chapter 12, let's go to verse 22. We're we're told instead of focusing on Mount Sinai, we now, through the lens of Christ, can be grateful and draw near to God because of another mountain. The setting for the new covenant. Where God's grace was poured out when Jesus' blood was spilled on the cross of Calvary. So Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion. To the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all. Do you see that? It says, you have come to God, the judge of all. Not running away, not, not pulling back, but coming to and coming to, toward. To the spirits of the righteous made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And so the author is encouraging us here. Yes, there is Mount Sinai. Yes, there is the the giving of the law. But there's also Mount Zion. Right? And and so Mount Zion, of course, would have been representative of, of Jerusalem and the work of Christ on the cross. And based on that, you can draw near. Come near, God is saying, because of Mount Zion. Come near because of the shed blood of Jesus. He refers to Abel. We won't get into all of that, but... Uh, again, it's, it's another uh, concept and biblical idea of uh, shed blood that pushed people out from the presence of God when Abel died. But shed blood from, from Christ that draws people into the presence of God. And so this morning, we're talking about worship as a discipline. Maybe take a moment even right now in your own heart and mind to consider, how does worship play out in your life? What is worship to you? How do you do it? When do you do it? Where do you do it? With whom do you do it? How could you be more disciplined in it? Maybe you've never thought about worship as a spiritual discipline. And I want to I push us to think that way. And I'm not trying to fit you into any sort of box. I'm not trying to say you got to do these three things at this time and in this place. Worship, my friend, if anything sort of expands our understanding and experiences with God. That that is to say, worship can be anything outside of sinful practice, outside of that which God has said not to do. But worship can be anything done with a heart to honor God. Worship can be anything we do as long as we are giving 
God his worth. In fact, that's where our English word worship comes from. The old English was worthship. You'll see it if you read like Shakespearean literature. Worthship. It meant like, I'm going to tell you how valuable you are, how, how worthy you are. You are filled with worth. Now, we've shortened it to worship, but it still carries that same idea that it's, that it's filled with your value and your worship. Again, why? Because your view of God directly impacts your worship of God. Small God, small worship. And so worship really can be anything that you're engaged in as long as you're giving worth, adoration, honor to God. It's been said that we get it all turned around and we tend to worship our work. We work at our play, and then we play at our worship. But that's not how God intends for it to be. So here's what I want to do with the rest of our time, and that is to share three keys for growing as a worshiper. How can you be more disciplined in worship? Three keys for worship. Like, like if we're going to cultivate habits that help us grow spiritually, we are going to be worshipers. And it begins with worship with your actions. So there is sort of this, what I would say, this undeniable external element when it comes to biblical worship. Uh, in fact, I want to nerd out on a word study this morning. I'll just do, I'll just do one word for us. Because it, it really is an important word. Uh, and it's in the New Testament when we see the word worship. And it's the Greek word that's translated mo- most often as worship. Uh, the Greek word is proskuneo, P-R-O-S-K-U-N-E-O, proskuneo. And proskuneo, this idea of worship in the New Testament, in the original Greek, it's a verb. It's a verb. You guys remember what verbs are, right? Action words. I'll give us the literal definition of proskuneo. To bow down to the ground before someone. And it carries the connotation to kiss his feet or the hem of his garment. So proskuneo is to bow down before someone. With the intent to kiss his feet or the ground he's walking on or the hem of his garment. But so often I think I hear worship or even use worship. I'm guilty as well as a noun. Worship was pretty good today. <laughs> worship was all right. I enjoyed the worship, or sometimes it's the opposite. You know, uh, I don't like the worship at that church. We're using it as a noun, whereas the biblical concept of worship is a verb. It is an action. It, it is a physical act that demonstrates the posture of your heart. Now, in our culture, I fully realize we don't have bowing as part of our normal... That's not in our culture. It is in certain cultures. And in the ancient world, it certainly was. But we don't have bowing as part of our culture. But we would certainly understand it if someone did it. Right? We would certainly understand something happening if indeed an individual were to bow down to... Someone or something else. We would kind of get the idea, oh, wow, they're really paying homage. They're really saying they're valuable. They're really subservient to them. Like, we would get it, even though that's not part of our, our culture. But the word worship in the scripture from the New Testament has this physical, active action of bowing down before God. Because worship is 
humbly approaching a God who is bigger, better, stronger. What's the, what's the one worship song we sing? <laughs> Something like that. Worship is simply coming before a God who's way beyond us, a God who is superior, and saying, we know our place. (laughs) We know that we are the clay and you are the potter. And so I will bow down. I will humble myself. I will surrender myself to you. You are the one who is in control. You are the creator and we are the created. Revelation 15, 4, which Revelation is a book of worship, by the way. You know, sometimes we, we get uh, really weirded out by that book. It's like, what is going on in Revelation? Um, if you read it through, through the lens of worship, I mean, yeah, there are parts that I don't fully understand. But if you, if you simply read Revelation looking for worship and being drawn into worship yourself, this side of eternity looking for worship in God's forever presence, I mean, it becomes a powerful experience. In fact, I would encourage you to do that. Read the book of Revelation as a worship manual. Revelation 15, 4. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship. That's the Greek word right there, proskuneo. One of the, I think it's maybe 59 times we see it in the New Testament. For your righteous acts have been revealed. So worshiping God with our actions is only in response to what God has done, right? We see that there at the end of verse 4 in Revelation 15. What for your righteous acts have been revealed. We've seen what you've done, O God. Just like the people of Israel saw you bring the ten plagues and part the Red Sea and deliver them from the hand of Pharaoh, we too have seen you act mighty and miraculously. And so we choose to bow down only to you, O God. In fact, who wouldn't fear the Lord? This is what's being posed as a question here in Revelation 15.4. Who wouldn't? Because God alone deserves the glory. So worship is about submission, recognizing what God has done. He has a great plan of redemption and salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. And so we choose the one true God. We will not bow down to any other. Do I need to remind you of the Ten Commandments that the Lord gave? That the first is, you shall have no other gods before me. And the second is, don't make any idols or graven images or bow down and worship them, but to worship the Lord alone. And so, if we want to grow as worshipers, if we want to be more disciplined as a worshiper, it begins with this idea of understanding rightly the biblical concept that worship is an action. Worship God with your actions. The scriptures call us to, I mean, like if you read through the Psalms, the scriptures call us to sing and to shout and to make music and to raise hands and to play instruments and yes, to bow down before the living God. Worship God with your actions. The second key for growing as a worshiper, being more disciplined in this area, is that worship is an attitude. And so you do worship God with your attitude. We're learning today that it's a spiritual discipline. It's not a haphazard emotion. We need to dwell on the truth of Scripture. And so we can, we can take the truth that comes from the Bible, things like God is holy, God is the maker of heaven and earth, God is merciful, God is kind, God sent Jesus. God is with us forevermore through His Holy Spirit. And so we remind ourselves and each other of these things, and we choose to worship God. But so often we don't focus on those truths, right? And that's when we start to grumble and complain and say, how could this be? This isn't what I wanted. Why are you doing this to me, God? 
And so worship with your attitude, and it begins with taking every thought captive, dwelling on the truth of Scripture, and then choosing to respond in worship for all God has done. We, we worship in spirit and in truth. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 4. In fact, if you stay for the Sunday school hour, uh, you'll get into that with your core group. What does that mean? How do we do that? So worship comes from a grateful heart. It stems from a heart of praise and thanksgiving. Because God cares about the condition of your heart. He doesn't just want those motions and those actions if they're devoid of gratefulness within us. An attitude of worship. At times, God says to his people, away from me with your noisy songs. That's in the book of Amos. He's like, get them out of here. I don't want to hear the noise of your songs. He says in Isaiah 29, 13, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Did you know that in a major study that was published in the Leadership Journal, it was discovered that of the 75 million Americans who attend church on a weekly basis, less than one third of them say they sense God's presence in that place. We're talking 30% or less Of the 75 million people in our country who every single week go to a worship service say, I sensed God's presence in that place. That grieves my heart. That we would gather and go through religious ritual and motion and pat ourselves on the back and say, well, I've checked off my religious to-do list for this week and go on about our lives. Where two or three are gathered in my name, Jesus says. There I am in their midst. So if you don't sense that God's presence is in this place, for for those 60-some percent of people in church every single week who don't sense that God's spirit is in that place, is it because God's not there? Somebody help me. Is it because God isn't there with them? No, no, no. It's because they're not tuned in to their maker and their creator and the lover of their soul. And we can point fingers at the church too, but I'm not going to do that this morning. (laughs) Because we are the church. The church isn't a religious institution. It isn't a building. It isn't an organization. It's me and it's you. We are the church. It grieves my heart to think that people are gathering with other brothers and sisters in Christ to worship and to study the word and to meet with God and saying, I don't sense God's presence in this place. This is so far removed from like Psalm 1611 that says, in your presence is fullness of joy. Fullness of joy in the presence of God. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. David makes demands of himself all the time as you read through the book of Psalms, which is another book of worship in the Bible, by the way. He makes demands of himself all the time. Praise the Lord, O my soul. You see that. He's telling himself, I'm going to choose to worship. I'm going to say, Yahweh is good. Yahweh does care about me. Yahweh has acted mightily. Praise the Lord, O my soul, he tells himself. He says, sing joyfully to the Lord. He's commanding himself. He's he's saying, sing to the Lord a new song. Play skillfully on your harp. Shout for joy. Clap your hands. Shout to God with cries of joy. Listen, you worship God rightly 
Only when you discipline your heart and mind to have an attitude of worship. And God doesn't want our songs and he doesn't want any of our vain motions, even gathering or attending a worship service if it's devoid of a heart of praise and gratitude. So we worship the Lord with our attitude. And finally, if we want to grow in our discipline of worship, we've talked about worship with our actions, worship with our attitude, worship every day. And so I want to be clear on this. We're not talking about something that's going to happen a maximum of 52 times this year. Although, no, um, 2023 actually has 53 Sundays. January 1st was a Sunday. December 31st will be a Sunday. So it's kind of like a bonus. I'm, I'm pumped about that. Sunday is my favorite day of the week. Normally, a year has 52. This year, we get 53. But so what I'm saying is, this is not something that's going to happen a maximum of 53 times. We choose to worship every single day. The Lord is looking for people who are going to praise him and thank him and honor him and live for him every single day of the week. Worship should not be relegated to once a week. And it is certainly, (laughs) it's preposterous to think that it would take place only within the confines of a certain building. In Acts chapter 2, verses 46 and 47, familiar verses, but we, we learn that the early church met together every day. They met in the temple courts. They met in homes. Listen to verse 46 and verse 47. I'll read it for us, but listen to it with an eye out toward worship. It says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. And enjoying the favor of all the people. And then it says, the Lord added to the number daily those who are being saved. We believe that God is omnipresent. That is, God is everywhere, all the time. And so if worship is responding to God, and even responding with awe and reverence, with admiration and praise to the presence of God, well, then it can happen anywhere. If God is omnipresent, and, and worship is a response to God's presence, then worship can happen anywhere, in your school, in your bedroom, at your job, in your neighborhood, in your home, with your family, when you're all alone. <laughs> like, uh, when you go to that special place where you meet with God every single day. Remember, we talked about that two weeks ago. We called it the cell that we learned from the Celtic monks. All alone in that place where you meet with the Lord. Worship happens in our homes when we cultivate habits like prayer and singing and reading scripture and expressing our love for others and for God. I heard that Ruth Bell Graham used to keep a sign above her kitchen sink and it read, worship services held here three times a day. (laughs) When you prepare meals and when you gather to feast together and to break bread like the early church did, that's worship. True worship is living your life in a way that pleases God. This is certainly a Romans 12 understanding of worship, right? Let's look at verse 1 there. Romans 12, verse 1. It says, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. That's the definition, according to Paul in Romans 12, 1, of worship. Offering yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. He says, this is your spiritual worship. Living a life surrendered to God. And so we can worship when we treat others with dignity and grace. We worship when we forgive as we've been forgiven by being faithful and loving to our spouse, by being the kind of parent that we know God wants us to be, 
by using our spiritual gifts to serve Christ, by faithfully and generously giving to God's kingdom work, by seeing our job, our school, our neighborhood as our mission field, where we have been sent to share the life-giving power of Jesus with the world. I want to share, I want to finish out the passage in Hebrews chapter 12. So if you've got your finger in your Bible, go ahead and open it there again. We'll conclude this passage reading 28 and 29. It says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. I want to be clear on this. The God at Mount Sinai is the same God we worship today. Like he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is a consuming fire. He says that he is a jealous God. He is holy. He is righteous. But he also invites us to come near to him. It's no longer the animal that touches it is going to die. Because Jesus already died. He laid down his life so that we can draw near to God. That, in fact, that's what is so awesome about the presence of God. Is that we're not obliterated by his fearsome holiness. That's part of what's so awesome. Is like we can be in God's presence and not just disintegrate and evaporate. And so we humble ourselves. But we approach him. He beckons us to come near to him. Why? Because of Mount Zion. Under the banner of Christ crucified. And so yes, we can worship God. We can draw near to him in a way that's pleasing to him. We do that by believing in him. And so where are you? Maybe you're camped out at Mount Sinai. And maybe you're trying to earn God's acceptance Maybe you're trying to just keep the laws. And if you do that, you're going to live in terror and in fear because it's impossible to meet the demands of his holiness. And if you're ready to lay that all aside this morning and just embrace openly the radical grace of God poured out to you, I want to ask our prayer team to come and make themselves available in the front after the service. We'd be honored to pray with you. Whatever it is that's on your heart, whatever that's burdening you, and it's time to draw near to the Lord. If you've trusted Christ, then you are anchored at Mount Zion. And the challenge now, of course, is to stay focused on what he has done for us and to worship him acceptably with reverence and, yes, with rejoicing. I think a great picture of this is in 2 Samuel chapter 6. It's the famous story in the Bible of King David dancing before the ark of the lord now the ark of the lord symbolized god's presence among his people and instead of acting like a king instead of being all dignified he dances and shouts and sings and in the eyes of the people he made a fool of himself in fact his wife criticized him she'd grown up the daughter of a king she knew what it meant to be noble but he said i will become even more undignified than this why? Because I'm dancing for the Lord. I'm not dancing for you or for anyone else. I'm dancing for the presence of God. He didn't care what others thought. He had one concern and one concern only. And of course, the Bible tells us that he was a man after God's own heart.
And I want to be the same way. And I want this year to even grow in my discipline of worship. To worship with my attitude each and every day. God knows my thoughts and my heart. He knows when it's crummy. But to take captive those thoughts when I'm grumbling and complaining and to go back to the truth of God's word and what God has done and to then rejoice. Oh, God is good. Oh, he has blessed me. And through Christ, I'm more than a conqueror. All of those truths of God's word, we, we, we latch on to those and then we begin to praise in our attitude and to be an active worshiper and to worship every single day, not just once a week. It's like when, when you get the, uh, the white elephant gift and it's still wrapped up in the packaging and you don't know what's on the inside. It actually looks really nice, especially the ones that are, that are silly and kind of useless. Um, on the outside, it looks really nice, doesn't it? It just looks like a... This could be a really nice, beautiful, wonderful, helpful, you know, all the pretty packaging. And I just wonder, like, how many of us are kind of doing that to God with our worship? We're, we're, we're wrapped up and we look really nice on the outside. But on the inside, it's, things are just blank, useless. God doesn't want white elephant worship. Let's give him our best in a spirit of reverence and, yes, rejoicing. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we will be disciplined in this way, in active worship, with an attitude of worship, and where we honor the Lord each and every day. We will not be moved. We will not be shaken. At all times, I will bless him, the Psalms say. His praise will always be on my lips. Let's pray together this morning. Oh, Lord, our God, we approach you humbly this morning, knowing that you are eternal and immortal, that you are divine, that you are all-powerful and omnipresent, that you are way bigger, better, stronger, beyond us. And yet, Lord, we come before you, we come into your presence because of the shed blood of Jesus. Because we've heard you beckoning us to come to yourselves, although we're weary and worn and sin-stained, to be made new and to be made right. Because we're putting our trust in the Lamb of God who was slain, the one who takes away the sins of the world. And Lord, how grateful we are that in your great mercy you've redeemed us, you've forgiven us, that you restore us. You give us a second chance, like we're born again, like we're made new. And so, Lord, we're going to take that second chance. And with grateful hearts, Lord, we're going to live for you, walking in obedience, joyful obedience to all that you have for us. And so, Lord, we pray that we would live lives of worship that point to you, that reveal your worth, your value. We long to attest to your goodness to your grace poured out to us, undeserving sinners. And so, Lord, I pray your blessing on each and every person that today we choose to surrender to you, to lay down our lives, even if it looks foolish to those around us. We surrender it all at your feet, O God, with grateful hearts, pursuing you, O Lord. Lord, would you make us to be like David, a man after your own heart, 
Thank you, Lord, for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you in advance for all you will do. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you're more faithful than the rising sun. And we give you thanks. We pray this only in the precious and powerful and matchless and mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.